I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Today's Old Testament reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Search us, O God, and find the things that are on our hearts. Find our joys, find our heartaches, and find our joys and our struggles, and speak to them. Through your living word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are. Today is the first day in our 11-week series on the Ten Commandments, and we're going to spend a Sunday on each commandment until we've done them all. Now, my guess is that some of you may not be as excited about the series, a series like this, as I am. I mean... We haven't exactly had people flock in droves to church here on Sunday, but there may be another explanation for that one as well. I told my irreligious neighbor, for example, that I was doing a series on the Ten Commandments, and they sort of scrunched up their nose, you know, like, ah, and said, okay, and then proceeded to quickly change the subject. My friend's reaction was mild compared to a Wisconsin man I read about recently. 
He was given a deferred jail sentence for removing a big stone copy of the commandments from the local courthouse. He tied a big chain around them and then sped away with his pickup truck, commandments in tow. His defense was that the commandments constituted a, quote, public nuisance. As a specifically religious document, this had no place on government property, a violation of church and state, separation of church and state. An example of religion weaseling its way into what should be a secular, neutral legal system. I guess a scrunched up nose wasn't quite enough to have properly <laughs> expressed his displeasure. I mean, it was clearly like a 400 horsepower situation that was required on that one. But what's so wrong with the Ten Commandments? Why do they elicit such a negative reaction? I mean, part of it is the ardent secularism and skepticism of our age, embodied by our truck-driving, tablet-thieving friend. In this view, religion itself is divisive and dangerous, and the commandments are, at best, a relic of a primitive past that we've now, thankfully, transcended. Another part of the issue is that some of us have experienced the commandments as a kind of weapon to beat people up with or manipulate them. Do this or else. Someone once called this teeth-gritten Christianity. <laughs> Thou shalt not can be an easy excuse to accuse, shun, or condemn. The commandments embody, can embody a self-righteous legalism. Cruelty and hypocrisy easily follow suit in this case. And yet another part of it is, as a culture, we hold, a very, hold high a very particular view of what freedom is. We are culturally libertarian, so to speak, in that we see things like laws or commandments, especially religious ones, as impinging on our freedom, which is the freedom from external restraints, the ability to do and act as we wish. In this view, the commandments are not only outdated and irrelevant for modern life, they are oppressive at worst and stifling at best. So they're outdated, they're judgmental and oppressive. The commandments won't exactly win you dinner party companions when you're standing around with your martinis. Oh, what do you think of the fifth commandment? Oh. Now, as Protestant Christians, this shouldn't exactly surprise us. Our particular branch of Christianity finds its roots in the Reformation of the 16th century. And one of our core convictions is a constant return to close readings of the Bible, to close readings of Scripture. Because we know that all sorts of junk gets accumulated on them over time. We know that fallible, self-centered human beings as we are, we can always take a good thing and twist it into something not so good. Perhaps most especially the things of God. To that end, this morning I want to make it very clear. The commandments are indeed good. The commandments are indeed good. And they may even be good news. 
The great reformer Martin Luther, who kicked off the Reformation, said that the Ten Commandments are a summary of everything a Christian needs to know about salvation, along with the Lord's Prayer and Apostles' Creed. From the beginning, their format has made them easy to remember and internalize. Our grandparents in faith often held on to them with holy reverence and fearful awe, but they understood them as fundamentally good. As fundamentally good, because they come from a good God whose purpose is our good. Indeed, the good of all creation. Now, where do we get this idea? Well, it's all there. It's all here in what the scholars refer to as the preface to the Ten Commandments. The preface. Now, just like in any book you pick up, or novel, or history book, or poetry, the preface sets out the purpose of that work. It tells you the point, the whole point of what the, thing, what the thing's trying to accomplish. And it's the same case with the commandments. They have a preface, and it sets the tone of the whole thing. Both tablets. And it goes like this. God spoke these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the preface to the commandments. And everything else that comes after, each commandment is meant to be interpreted and understood in the light of this statement. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the, la- out of the house of slavery. If you know the story of the Exodus, you'll know that God meets up with Moses in the first place with the singular intent of freeing Moses' people from slavery in Egypt. That's how the whole thing gets started. 400 years of backbreaking labor, torture, hunger, degradation, all the suffering, all the pain, all the oppression. The remarkable thing is that God comes to Moses and says simply, I have heard the groaning of my people, I have seen it, and I will come down and I will free them. I've heard it, I've seen it, I will come down and I will free my people. And according to the story, it all happens. There's plagues, there's a parting of the Red Sea, there's a destruction of the Egyptian army. But the truly remarkable thing is that the Israelites have done nothing to conjure God. They haven't had to be good. They haven't had to be holy. They haven't even had to be righteous. God has chosen them, not the other way around. God makes the first move. God moves out of compassion. God moves in response to their suffering. There's another word that we often use to describe this movement of God, and it's called grace. So this isn't some cruel and capricious creator simply laying down the law so he can crack some skulls when people step out of line, or some kind of immature parent who plays favorites with the good kids, the God who gives the law on Mount Sinai, the God who gives the Ten Commandments is the God who hears the cries of those who suffer, who sees those who are imprisoned and without any merit, deserving, or earning on their part, acts to liberate them, to free them from their captivity. 
God is the God who brought Israel out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Which is to say we shouldn't understand the commandments as burdensome or oppressive. The Israelites aren't trading one kind of slavery with Pharaoh in Egypt for another kind of slavery in the wilderness with God. This God's about breaking chains and not forging new ones. This God's about relieving burdens, not increasing them. This is a God who cares about human beings, who is moved by their predicament and is actively invested in their freedom. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This little line, this is, this is who God is. This is why Judaism exists, right? This is good news. This is who God is, the God who brought Israel out of slavery. This is the story that the preface tells. This God isn't about tying a few extra slabs to your pickup truck, you know, your pickup truck that's already overloaded. This God's a God of freedom. This God is a God of freedom. Now again, of course, our culture sees freedom as the, primarily as the absence of rules or regulations. Some call this, as I have said, the libertarian view of freedom. And it's not the same thing as being a political libertarian. Could be, but it's not necessarily. Philosophers often call this negative freedom. Freedom from restraint. Freedom from outside interference. And you know, conservatives generally apply this economically, whereas liberals apply it socially. So it might seem a little strange to us that this God who is apparently all about freedom celebrates it by carving a list of ten do's and don'ts into a solid rock. It doesn't quite compute with the way that we see freedom. But the commandments imagine freedom differently. They imagine freedom differently. Rather than negative freedom, freedom from, biblical freedom would be termed as, by philosophers as positive freedom. That's not a value judgment, it's just a statement. Positive freedom. Rather than freedom from, biblical freedom is generally the freedom to. I mean, that's why Jesus has all this long list of things for his disciples to do. The freedom to be, the freedom to act according to our true nature. The great 5th century pastor and teacher, St. Augustine, referred to the commandments as the, quote, Christian's charter of freedom. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that the commandment of God not only forbids, but also permits. Not only binds, but also sets free. And Bonhoeffer, if you know, he died in a Nazi prison camp after using his Christian freedom to challenge Hitler. And one theologian, the late Paul Lehman, said it like this. The tone of the Ten Commandments does not sound like this you must do or else. It sounds rather like seeing that you are who you are this is the way ahead. 
This is the way of being and living in the truth. This is the way of freedom. So the commandments paint a picture as to what life with this freedom-loving God is like. Think about the commandments themselves. Remember how back in Egypt you were making nothing but bricks from sunup to sundown, breaking your back until it killed you? No such thing as a stat holiday. Because I brought you out of here, though, you don't have to work yourselves to death anymore. You're going to have a Sabbath day. Rest is going to be built right into the calendar every week and the very fabric of creation. Remember how back in Egypt, old people were expendable once they couldn't lift a shovel anymore? You're different, though. Because I brought you out of Egypt, mothers and fathers will be honored with pride of place for their service and their wisdom. Not just their use value. Back there in Egypt, just about anything could get you killed, right? Your masters were arbitrary and cruel with their punishment. Men and women were mowed down like grass. Since I brought you out of there, though, human life to you is going to be so valuable that you'll stop at almost nothing to preserve, protect, and promote this precious gift. And back there, your wives, daughters, and mothers were the objects of rape and abuse. Your whole lives were a massive theft of labor. And you'd steal from each other when there were barely any scraps to spread around. Your whole lives revolved around the lie that you were less because you were treated like less. And you spent your whole lives fantasizing and dreaming that you had just a little bit more. That's what life was like in slavery, but you are children of the living God, and you were born out of Egypt on eagle's wings because you were born for more than slavery. You were born for more than Egypt, and instead you're going to be the people of fidelity, generosity, honesty, dignity, and deep contentment that I made you to be even before space and time was even a thing. Trust in me. Walk with me in my ways. And only then you'll know what true freedom actually is. The commandments paint a picture as to the kind of life that's possible with this freedom-loving, freedom-bringing freedom endowing God then or now. It's a life where we don't have to scramble every moment of every day but can take rest for granted. It's a life where the elderly and anyone else who can't take care of themselves doesn't have to be discarded or isolated but given true pride of place as the wisdom and memory of the community. It's a life where we aren't driven by our most violent, selfish impulses, but deeply formed by grace 
and forgiveness for just and unjust alike. It's a life where sex is not a commodity or means to an end, but the gateway to intimacy and familial life. A life where we don't have to steal or hoard nor fear that well, there will never be enough because in God's world, there's always enough to go around. The commandments paint a picture as to the kind of life that's possible with this freedom-loving God right here, right now. Because, friends, at their heart, the commandments are a gift. They are good news. They're good news because they are authored by a good God who desires only our good. The commandments are not intended to be oppressive burdens or excessive punishments or stuffy old obligations because they are given to us by a God who would go to hell and back, who has gone to hell and back to bring freedom to his children. Not just freedom from, but freedom to. The freedom to overcome our worst instincts and to step out of our self-centeredness and selfishness. The freedom to become who we were created to be. Destined to be. The freedom to be good, like the good God who made us. May that same good God have mercy on us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Amen. stand and join me for our hymn of the day, Spirit, Open My Heart. Spirit, open my heart to the joy your love of